Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening and welcome to Amplify, a telephone talk show that looks at life from a religious perspective. I'm Father Ron Lingwin, hoping you have felt the warmth of God's love in your life this day. Especially, especially over Thanksgiving, because not only do we want to thank God, but there's a sense in which we can say God wants to, wants to thank us. So I hope you have felt the warmth of God's love in your life, but especially the joy that comes when you share that love with others. As we do each week, I begin with a story that is based on faith and formed with imagination. A woman approached Jesus with some flowers she had picked. There was a shaft of wheat among them, and she was filled with great joy, and she bowed and placed them at his feet. Jesus gently raised her to her feet and asked, Woman, why do you honor me this way? She answered, Because your father has given wheat and wild flowers to us, and with them much joy. If we didn't have wheat, we'd be hungry because we couldn't bake bread. If we didn't have flowers, beauty and gentleness would certainly leave our hearts. Jesus was impressed by her and smiled. He said, Woman, you are sensitive and filled with much love. But many people mock me, Master, she said in response. When I go into the fields to gather wild flowers to place in my home, they think I'm foolish. But flowers give me the greatest pleasure. I'm careful not to take too many, because I want them to keep growing and to give pleasure to others. I even take their seeds and sow them when I can. Master, I feel good when I do that. My husband is a merchant, and I know I should be helping him. But I feel good when I return home from the fields. I'm more sensitive, and I'm able to love more. And she looked at her coupled foot and said, the pain even seems less. Jesus said, Woman, woman, you have made me so happy. And he bent down and kissed her sun-baked face. The Father has given us the earth, and nature has covered it with beauty. They have worked together and given great gifts to man. But if man cannot see the, with a heart, what will he be able to see with the eyes? The woman understood and nodded her head in agreement. Jesus bent down and picked up one of the now wilting flowers sprued at his feet. He said the seed of life is full of energy at the beginning, but then it wilts like this flower and exists no more. 
Life will return, however, until my father's tears for man cease. Then the earth will be cleansed of all sin, and man will once again live in harmony with the Father and the gifts given to us by nature. Our guest this evening writes these first words in her latest book titled The Stillness of Winter, Sacred Blessings of the Season. Winter abounds in wonder. Wonder is the dawn after a snowfall, when the world is quelled by a quiet like no other quiet. When icy mosaics are etched on the panes of the window, when the red bird of winter, hope perched on a bough, shatters the washed-out tableau. Wonder is the soul burrowing in the darkness, kindling the flame deep within. At heart, this book is a book of wonder, of beholding the everyday miracle, of wrapping our arms around the holy within and the holy all around. Consider this a field guide to wonder, certainly, and wisdom, perhaps. It borrows in spirit from the almanac, the scrapbook, scribbled field notes, assorted jottings, and on occasion, the banged-up recipe file that's tucked on my kitchen shelf. It's a book I hope you come to know as something of a friend, a gentle-souled companion you might choose to cozy up with. It unfurls month by month, drawing deep into the folds and the nooks and the crannies of winter, the season of stillness. I've long been enchanted, enraptured by the miracle of this holy earth's turning, its invitation to follow the circle of the year, the depth of winter, quickening of spring, plentitude of summer, autumnal wall, and to discover back to winter once again, that's really a spiral, while the world around has echoes of the familiar, from the slant of winter's light to the particular nip in the air, who we are deep inside is ever ripening, hardly the same one winter to the next. The aim at every turn is to hold the holy hour up to the light, extract the essence, the marrow, the deep-down glory, the everyday gospel. Month by month, season upon season, we march through time. We choose. Savor. Savor it all, every blessed mortal. Or let it slip away, unnoticed, unrecognized, for the majesty, the miracle each moment offers. Pay close attention is the beckoning. Behold the holy hours. From the front pages of the Chicago Tribune to a revered page, two columns, Barbara Mahaney has opened her heart and told her stories and the stories of honest and this just this, those sacred mysteries. And she's a sought-after speaker, retreat leader, writing teacher, author of Mother Prayer, The Blessings of Mother Prayer and Slowing Time, Seeing the Sacred Outside Your Kitchen Door. Some of you may remember she's been on our program before. Last time was in 2017, and before that in 2014. Uh, she has been a guest that we always love to have come back. 
Barbara Mahaney, welcome back to Amplify. Thank you. Thank you, Father Ron. That was that was just beautiful. I loved your story. And I have to laugh at the weather report that came right before you came yes, on the air. Right. It was a perfect setup for this <laughs> yes, of yes, winter. Yes, it is. People hear about the you know, the snow forecast and start groaning and moaning and then here we come with our message that winter is a beautiful thing. So it's wonderful to be back with you. Thank Good. you so much for inviting me once again. How is it just from the words I read, your words, how do you see what others may not see? What might you teach us about how we could see what you see? Oh, I think there is something of a practice in seeing. Um, it should preface a lot of this by the fact that um, I think you know, um, once upon a time I was a pediatric oncology nurse. Yes. So I went to nursing school before I ever dreamed I would have a life as a writer. And I've talked often about how, um, I mean, I, I think I was just a natural born, you know, big eyed kid sitting in the back seat of the family station wagon, keeping close watch on everything unfolding in the station wagon and everything we were passing. So I think that's just a natural born way of looking at the world. But those natural-born tendencies can be, you know, heightened and sharpened. And four years of nursing school and practicing as a, you know, on a, in a pediatric hospital, I worked at Children's Memorial in Chicago and took care of kids with cancer and all kinds of, you know, terminal and chronic illnesses and diseases. And it's such a critical piece of a nurse's practice to pay excruciating attention. You're paying attention to life or death details. I've often talked about my very first patient at Children's, a little girl I'll never forget. Her name was Pebbles, and she had cystic fibrosis. And, you know, one of my important jobs when I walked in her room each morning to say, good morning, how are you, give her a big hug, whatever, was to, you know, look closely at the shade of blue that circled her lips. And depending on the intensity of the blue, that was my first signal that she either was or wasn't getting as much oxygen as we needed her to get. And we would, you know, then hook her up to her oxygen cannula or whatever. But, you know, whether it's, you know, paying close attention, watching the rise and fall of a sleeping child's chest or an adult's chest, um, you know, as you go in to check your patient hour after hour when they're especially in really critical condition, you know, all those keen observations matter. And then after I was a nurse at Children's for a few years, um, I miraculously wound up, I went back to graduate school, got a master's in journalism, and then got a full-time job at the Chicago Tribune where I worked for almost 30 years. And I learned early on from some of the master reporters in the newsroom when I got sent out on really important stories um, that I, you know, they basically told me to go out and be the Hoover vacuum of details and just soak up every possible telling detail that could tell some deeper layer of someone's life. And so all those years I was practicing it either as a nurse or as a journalist and 
then over the years, when I became a mother, I started to realize that the stories that were unfolding in my own home with my own two beautiful boys who are eight years apart, um, all the stories that unfold at home in our humble, simple, domestic lives hold just as much profound wisdom, just as much beauty, just as much everlasting story as anything I was ever sent out to cover from the news desk. So I started collecting these essays, and I had said that what I love about being an essay writer is I think of it, I think of my job sometimes as being a butterfly catcher. And I am, you know, just catching these ephemeral, fleeting moments as they slip by our lives, and I capture them with the words I put on the page. And the more you write, the more acutely you pay attention. I think writers and poets and photographers and painters and cinematographers and sculptors are all just our, 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 our gift and our blessing comes in our capacity to see and to see just the finest details that might otherwise pass us by. And I'm so grateful that I believe God called me to this task and gave me the skills I need to do this because um, I'm, I am living my life in slow, measured time. I think I was marked really deeply when my dad dropped out of a heart attack when he was only 52 and I was 24. I think all those years of working with young children who, you know, died far, far too soon has just always given me a really profound sense of the preciousness of life. And we can go through life half-blinded or we can go through life and soak up each blessing, each moment, and I choose the latter. And if, that's how and why I see. And my introduction was a little awkward of you because uh, my paper fell to the ground <laughs> under the floor. But uh, um, you're described as a person who has opened your heart and and uh, told your stories and the stories of your family's life and what you've just been describing to me now were a number of stories, really, if we look back mm-hmm. at it in terms of your life. And we can say the same things. We all have stories to tell, every, each and every one of us, because of our uniqueness. And I believe that uh, sometimes that's how God wants to teach us. He brings us together with the right people at the right time. We still have free will, but he brings us together so we can share our stories because at some time, in some way, God's going to become a part of that story and so uh, you are described as being bracingly honest and heart-achingly daring as you explore the sacred mysteries of, of life. And they're not that far away from us because they actually reside within us. And um, you were able to explore those sacred mysteries with a voice recognizable and clear. And so there is a, there is a deep flame within you, isn't there? Uh, and for me... I would describe that as the Holy Spirit. It's 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 God's presence, and and we all have that. I believe. I believe so too. I absolutely. <laughs> Excuse me. Bless you. Sorry, I just inhaled something. Um, I absolutely, absolutely um, believe that we've all. We're all just 
vessel filled with stories. Our whole lives are stories, and some people practice. Some people are natural-born storytellers. I think it, it helps to grow up in a family where there's a storyteller or where there are many, many storytellers or where the storytellers are crowding themselves out from the dinner table <laughs> because you learn as a young child. You just grow up understanding, you know, if you want your voice to find a place, you know, within that cacophony, you need to, you know, speak up learn how to telegraph your story, telescope your story, and, um, you know, come to the table with something to say. And where better than to look, you know, deep inside our own souls? Um, I, my boys have learned this trick. When bad things happen in my life, I honestly, honestly often say, well, this is going to make a good story. <laughs> and it yes. literally helps you through the crunch of the moment to be able to say that. So... Yeah, and that's because uh, we can see, as you point out, miracles every day. You describe it this way, wrapping our arms around the holy within and the holy all around. And so it's your belief that there is an everyday gospel. There is something that God wants to reveal to us. He has stories to tell to us that are our own stories that we discover as he tells them. And the danger is that we we miss the miracles that each moment offers. Uh, we just have one minute. Well, not l- 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 let me ask you this uh, now, but when we come back, we're, we're going to be taking a break in just a half a minute or so. Okay. Uh, that uh, winner you described, the book is, the title is The Stillness of Winter, mm-hmm. um, Sacred Blessings of the Season. The way you introduce December, you say December, month of the longest night, when minute by minute our dot on the globe is darkening. Yet darkness to me is alluring. It calls me to turn inside to be hushed and to pay attention. And so you also suggest that deep inside us we we are... We realize one winner from the is different from this one to the next. Let's mm-hmm. take this break now. Okay. Welcome back to uh, Amplify, where our guest is Barbara Mahaney. We're talking about her book, The Stillness of, of Winter, Sacred Blessings for the Season. We're going to talk about December, January, and February, and um, the thought that she presents is that who we are deep inside is hardly the same one winter to the next, that we don't have to be afraid, that we can ward off the spirit of darkness in our lives. And when she begins to speak about December, she says, December is God whispering, please come closer Discover abundance within. Marvel at the gifts I've bestowed. Robert, tell us a little bit about uh, the concept of the stillness of winter, the title of your book. Oh, winter to me, and I feel it. I feel it literally as the darkness is surrounding me tonight. Um, It's the first Sunday of Advent, as you and many of your listeners likely know. (laughs) And, you know, with the darkness, with this 
it's almost like a black velvet, elegant darkness to me. It's a burrowing in darkness. It's a darkness that begs us, you know, typically, I mean, I, I was stringing lights on my picket fence today and I've got, um, you know, candles inside the house. My husband was making fires all weekend in the fireplace and the, the, the instructive from our, from our brilliant um, religious traditions is to, you know, kindle, we kindle flames all around us, and the call of the month is to kindle the flame within. And we kindle that flame and make it burn bigger and brighter and more deeply by quieting, by being still, by cloaking ourselves in a particular stillness. Um, In normal times, it would be countercultural to be saying no to, you know, too many to-do lists and too many dates scribbled onto the calendar. This is a particularly, when I wrote this book, when this book went into production, no one knew a pandemic was coming. No one knew that this winter would have such, um, you know, uh, stillness, you know, mandated, mandated stillness in so many ways, this sheltering at home. But I say take that sheltering at home and make of your life something of a monastery. Build in quiet hours. Unplug your phones. Unplug your devices. Turn the pages of a book. Turn the pages of ancient texts that are so filled with wisdoms from all sorts of religious and philosophical traditions, read stories, tell stories, take walks in the woods, be so still and so quiet. You can hear the leaves crunching under your feet. You can hear the chatterings of the birds. You can hear the groaning of the trees bending against other trees. You can hear the whistling of the wind. All of this seasons, um, cosmological um, movements are, are, are causing us to, to draw in, to pull in, to hibernate like the bears. But there's so much warmth deep inside that burrowing. And I think as a society, as a culture, we're just so so attention deficit most of the time that this this is just a wonderful especially it's advent it's it's time when we can tap into that you know if you have beautiful even some you know joy filled memories from your childhood not everyone has joy filled memories from their childhood but somewhere deep inside imagine a joy filled childhood tap into that childlike sense of anticipation of waiting for something and just savor these these days counting toward Christmas, counting toward the winter solstice and that's that's what I mean by the invitation of December this invitation to go deep this invitation to find that deep flame burning inside and to to dial it up, to, to just infuse yourself mm-hmm. with a light from within and savor the gift of the quiet we can wrap ourselves in. So we can hear that still, small voice that needs stillness to be heard.
We can't hear it if we're in the middle of a racket, in the middle of a shopping mall, in the middle of, you know, so much of our society's Mm -hmm. noises. Yeah, you reflect that uh, darkness is alluring uh, to you, that it it calls me to turn inside, to be hushed, to pay attention. But there seems to be a sense in which we have blinded ourselves to some forms of of darkness. Um, there's a kind of a spiritual darkness that hangs around us uh, these days with there all is. that's going on. And then yeah. there is just the, the physical and we need to be able to make the distinction between them and how to deal with them. Because you, you, you suggest that the, the sacred instruction for the month is to make the light be from you, deep within you. I know I will say to my sister sometimes, wow, it's getting dark already. You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's like 4.30. And it's, yeah, but, it's 4.30 already. Right. And you, but you point out, as you've just said so beautifully with the Advent season beginning, that we can live the month of December sacramentally, mm-hmm. and that to be sacramental is to lift even the most ordinary moments into holiness. Mm-hmm. Say a little bit of what you mean by that, so people can understand how they might be able to lift even the most ordinary moments into holiness. Mm. The first place my mind goes is to the dinner table, to you know, uh, right now, many like my son is home from college. He's, you know, they sent everyone home to, you know, finish the semester at home, do their final exams from home. So a lot of us have a lot of, or have have more people in our house maybe than usual. Um, however many people are in your house, dinner can be something you hurry up and throw on the table as quickly as possible, maybe, even if you order it out. It's, it's, it's understanding, it's seizing the opportunity that, that dinner hour is providing to, you know, set the table with intention. I go outside and I gather greens from, you know, the woods and the pine trees in my yard, just little clippings. And I gather pine cones, and I, I have something at the center of the table that reflects the season. And even if I don't spend hours cooking a dinner, you can you can make a lovely dinner in half an hour. And to set the table, and we begin the meal with grace. We all take turns saying a prayer. We don't say any prescribed prayer. We just all spontaneously pray for whatever comes to our mind. And we sit and we eat relatively slowly, and it allows conversation to unfurl. And so it could be rush, rush dinner, or it could be a dinner imbued with that sacred sense of paying attention, which I think makes it holy. It allows for epiphanies to unfold in the moment when someone at the table who, you know, gets to tell a story or has a really funny line, um, you know, a rejoinder to something that someone else has said. And so the dinner time draws you together and draws the best out of each person at the table. And so it becomes a sacramental, you know, a sacrament of the home. And I think sacraments of the home are, are, are beautiful. 
So that's one way to, you know, lift the ordinary into the sacred. I awake early before anybody else is awake. I make my coffee. I have um, this little pot on my stove that I fill with orange peel and cinnamon sticks and star anise and nutmeg and cloves in the winter and water. And I crank up the flame under it just a little bit. So it's simmering and this beautiful incense-like smell is wafting through the kitchen. I usually go outside with my tin can of bird seed and I feed the birds and that has me, you know, outside under heaven's dome and I look up at the sky, the moon, some, some sliver of moon is often still there. The last morning star might be there. The cardinals are starting to rouse in the trees. That turns my early morning hour into not just getting up and blindly shuffling down and throwing the coffee on and cranking the news on the radio, but it it just weaves this kind of quietude into the very dawn of the day. And, you know, I've, I spent a lot of time this past summer reading a lot about, you know, just the beautiful notion of, you know, fixed hour prayer, which has both Jewish and Celtic and Anglican and Catholic, all sorts of um, religious threads weave together. And I think there's, I'm a big fan, I'm a big fan of monks in monasteries, and this idea of, you know, of, of, you know, just kind of returning cyclically to prayer every few hours. And I I think there's just something really beautiful about weaving, weaving the prayerful in and out of your whole day and understanding. I think when you're praying at fixed times throughout the day, it reminds you that the work between the prayer is an offering of it's of prayer. So I think there's all, all sorts of ways, um, even in our crazy fast-paced culture, to, um, to lift the ordinary into the sacred. And some of the other ways in which uh, you write about um, that very point, I am this year embracing the darkness. I am kindling lights. I am practicing quiet. I'm shutting out noise and filling my house with the sounds of the season they call me. I'm practicing no. No is the word that I'm saying too much of, uh, the madness. I No, I cannot go there. No, I cannot race from one end of town to the other. No, I will not. I am practicing yes. I'm listening for words that fill up my heart. I am waking up to the notion that to usher the season into my house is to awaken the sacred. I am, wa- I am waking up to the notion that to usher the season into my house is to awaken the sacred. A little further, I, I am in this month, we're talking about December, of preparing a story told time and time again, listening anew to the words. I'm considering the story of the travelers, the virgin with child, the donkey, the man with the tools, the unlikely trio, knocking and knocking at door after door. I'm remembering how long, long ago I winced when I heard how no one had room. Open the door, I would shout deep inside, make room, make room. I was really surprised uh, how much I was taken by the number of people that have, as I drew, drove to the studio this evening, that have Christmas lights up already. 
I've it, seen that too. And, I've seen that too. And it might be because of what morning I went to my hardware store because you always need one more strand of uh, something yes. when you put up your lights. And <laughs> I drive. Inevitable. And I went to the hardware store in a pandemic. I had to wait for a space to park my car at the hardware store. Wow. There were so many people inside buying Christmas lights. It's crazy. I think we all need more light this year. You know, we, we just need, we can't go out to parties. We can't go. So I think we're all just craving. It's just a human deep psychological yearning for, you know, something to interrupt the um, sort of the somber. There's a somber darkness this year that's tough. That's really tough because it's been going on a long time now. I will not deny that. Right. And we have... Uh, um the Vatican crash, Pittsburgh crash that I've talked to you about uh-huh. uh, before that's, uh, that's up a week ago, and uh-huh. uh, it's life-size, and, wow. and it does bring that story to mind mm-hmm. that you had uh, had talked about in terms of what's going on in that scene, these travelers, the virgin with mm-hmm. child, the, the donkey. We, mm-hmm. uh, we have all these life-size figures, and mm-hmm. it just, it, it, it inspires you. It brings you to prayer. What is the, what is the prayer that fills you most? These days, the prayer that fills me most is the act of contrition. Mm-hmm. I started a practice of, of uh, morning prayer this year. Every single morning I get up and I, you know, open my book of common prayer and I, and I think it's such a beautiful practice to begin every single morning and saying, go ahead. I'm sorry, saying, yes. you know, forgive me for what, you know, for what I have, for, I can't remember the exact words, but, right. you know, for, yes. for not loving as I should have loved, forgive me for what sure. I've, you know, not done enough of, forgive me if I've done anything to hurt anyone. I, I, I find it profoundly moving to, um, to bow my head and say, I'm sorry, and say, I have, I have made mistakes, God, I have sinned, you know, and, and to scour my soul and reflect on the day before and see if there's, you know, where are the places that I fell short and what can I do today? to reach closer to who I need to be. So right now, that's, that's a really profound prayer for me. It's and all... I think as a culture, humility is lacking, mm-hmm. and the capacity to easily say, oh, I blew it. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. You know, people are, people are afraid to say they made a mistake. They blame it on all kinds of other things, and sometimes it's just so powerful to say, hey, man, I'm human. I just blew it. I'm sorry. I blew it. And then to try to repair that. And as we reflect on the gift of uh, Jesus uh, to us, you make uh, a list of kindnesses that people have shown to you. (laughs) Because um, so many of those kindnesses come to us from God through Mm -hmm. other people. And so, uh, and, and they are gifts that people have, have, have given to us, brought into our life, aren't they? Absolutely, absolutely. And when, you know, I, I wrote that essay, and again, it's a practice. The act of sitting down and saying, okay, what are the gifts that, you know, who are the, who are the blessings who have brought kindness, 
unexpected kindness, goodness. Who's taken my breath away? Who's made my heart skip a couple of beats? Who are those people? What has happened? And when you sit down and make a list, it's it's like making a Christmas list, only it's making a Christmas list of, you know, just the beloved blessings that have have come upon us. And when you sit down to think about it, you start to, you know, when you see it in black and white, when you see, you know, when you count the wonderful things that have happened to you, it, it just fills you, it kind of spills your heart over with a sense of gratitude for, um, you know, the goodnesses that come. And when I think about them, I can get tears in my eyes just thinking about it. It's just just a blessed human being saying for no reason, for no good of their own, just saying, I'll drive two hours and pick, you know, my nephew up at college and bring him yes. back to my house and take him out to an Italian restaurant for dinner. And then I'll put him on the Greyhound bus and send him to you for Christmas. Like my brother didn't need to do that, but he did that because he's just an angel. And, uh, you know, that kind of kindness. I And I think those kinds of unexpected kindnesses, it it just pays it forward. Because when somebody does that to you, you're so inspired in the immediate to turn around and do it to someone else. And so you just begin this chain of sort of December blessings, all year blessings, all the time. But we're talking about December, um, you know, and, and so it, it's particularly, particularly rich when it, when it, unfolds now. I think, you know, people who just, you know, uh, think of the people in your life who probably feel completely unnoticed and think of a way to notice them this December. Think of, you know, a grocery store checker who's, Mm -hmm. you know, despite the pandemic with her two masks on and her rubber gloves has been raining up your groceries and everyone else's groceries. And is there anything, anything just sweet and gentle you could do for that someone to make that someone feel seen, feel noticed, feel appreciated. It's just a joyful thing. It's just stitching these joys into your days and then the life you live right. is a joyful one, can be a joyful one. And so you speak and of, of becoming so inspired another way. And what you say is that uh, December is a time when the soul perks up. So mm-hmm. that going back to the same example when I'm at the crash, uh, my soul perks up. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking if anything needs repaired. I can tell you that, but it's really my soul, most of all, that is caring. Or, or even noticing the lights tonight, which was was a surprise. Well, I know people typically put them up around Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving, but there just seemed to be more to me. But the soul, right. the soul perks up. Um, mm-hmm. We just have a couple more minutes before we break for this this first part of the program. Tell us about the sound of of snow falling. You said you've heard it, so uh, you're probably <laughs> going to get a little snow before we do. The sound of snow falling is no sound. It's silent. But how often do you go outside and hear nothing, nothing? And so it's it's just a beautiful act to stand there and listen and see if you can hear any sound. And sometimes you'll hear something, you know, depending kind of on how frozen the snow is, you might hear the snowflakes brushing against the pine needles. Um, You might hear a snowflake landing on your eyelash. You might feel it too, but um, it's wrapping yourself in a level of, 
silence that almost is its own sound. I mean, great, brilliant musicians tell us that that music, the music comes from the silence between the notes. It's how many, how much silence is between those notes. That's how we notice the notes because there's silence in between each of the notes. There's more silence or less silence, and snow is a beautiful silence. Um, and if we listen really closely, and if the world around us cooperates, and there are no sirens and no power blowers. Um, if we get outside early enough before the power blowers start, you can hear that silence. You right. can just drink it in. And you say that, that that stillness speaks to us, and you're right. There is a stillness in the first of every winter snow that feels to me like coming home. It's in that unrippled place, that place where quiet is complete and whole, that I and maybe you feel as if the hand of God is reaching down, is showing me the way through the snowy woods. Sometimes, too, I think, I think I hear the sound of God putting gentle finger to soft lips shushing. Shh. I hear God say, be still. So we're going to take a break now. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Barbara Mahaney as we talk about her book, The Stillness of Winter. <laughs> 